Have you guys noticed, by the way, that there seems to be a new official uh, vineyard uniform? It is clearly blue shirts and, and uh, stripes. Uh, who needs a memo when you've got the prompting of the Holy Spirit for what you're going to wear in the morning? But anyway, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for that lovely welcome. Uh, you like that, don't you? Uh, you know, this morning, in many ways, I find myself sandwiched. Sandwiched on the one end between the two previous fantastic guest speakers that we had. Wasn't it great? You know, we had Lucas and Dieter Targos from Czech Republic a couple of weeks ago who came and spoke. Fantastic message. And last week we had Vineyard's very own Rick and Lulu Williams. A real blessing to have them here. And Rick spoke on Lord's victory through history. And if you missed those two, I'd encourage you to download the podcast. And sandwiched next week with our very own wonderful Chris Lane, our senior pastor. Hey, another builder. Who's going to be launching and kicking off a brand new sermon series. Is that right? Fantastic. So here I am, stuck in the middle of you. Sorry, I apologize. And much like a minister without portfolio, here I am with a minister without sermon series. <laughs> that went down much better in my head. But anyway. <laughs> so given that, Chris a couple of weeks ago said to me, so Mark, what are you going to be speaking on? Fair question. And so I said, I think I'm going to be speaking on, and I said the topic. He said, yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. And I walked out of his office and thought, oh, what have I done? Why on earth did I say I was going to speak on that topic? Of all the subjects I could have picked, why did I say that one? And you're looking at me, aren't you? Why, why, why? What topic did you pick? Well, put it this way. It is a subject which we all experience every day of the year, many moments in a day. One which our Lord himself experienced much of, and I have to confess, one which I experienced much of myself. Anyone know what it is yet? Anyone bold enough? Suffering, that is one. I could have preached on that, but it is this, temptation. That great hot potato. And you can see why I was slightly reluctant. But um, once I got over the, uh, the reticence and the reluctance, I kind of could see why the Lord wanted me to speak on this this morning. You see, like I said, the truth is we all experience temptation every day of the year. It doesn't matter whether it's spring, summer, autumn, or winter. This message, in many respects, is always in season, isn't it? But today is November the 30th, and it is the eve of the silly season. Tomorrow is December the 1st. Now, I don't know about you, but certainly from my perspective, it is as if the dial of temptation gets cranked up a few degrees. Isn't that right? It's like the heat rises. It's like we're bombarded from every single quarter with temptation, temptation, temptation. You know, whether it be the, the office Christmas party and the temptation to have that one too many drinks. Yes, I'm sorry, I have been there. Or, or fall into gossip. Or, you know, we have lots of family events. And it doesn't matter how much you try, you just seem to get into strife and, and bitterness can creep in. And there's so many opportunities, isn't there? What about jealousy? This is, this is the fourth year I've got this jumper and my brother's got something with flashing lights on that makes a sound. It has batteries. Okay, maybe I'm revealing too much. But you get my point, don't you? So much occasion. Well, that's amazing. If someone wants to buy me a nice sports car, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. And then what happens January the 1st? New Year's resolutions. That will do the trick. That will solve the temptation problem. Well, that works, doesn't it? Anyone here, when I hazard a guess, what percentage of people actually keep their New Year's resolutions? Anyone? 3%. Anybody else? Higher, higher? 10? Lower, lower? Seven, eight percent. 
I thought that was pretty low, actually, but 3%, that's low too. 8%. Well, I've got some good news for you all this morning. You see, we do not have to wait until January the 1st to be failures. In fact, we do not need to wait until tomorrow to be failures. We can be victorious today on November the 30th. And the message this morning is simply this, victory over temptation. And I can give you a sneak peek into the ending. It is a happy ending. It is good. And so this morning we are going to look at two texts to help us unravel this subject of temptation. The first is found in the start of the Old Testament, that great story of temptation, Adam and Eve and the serpent and the apple. And then we're going to look at our second text, which is found, interestingly enough, in the start of the New Testament, and that is our own Lord Jesus in the wilderness and temptation there. And we're going to ask ourselves two very, three very important questions. The first is this, what is temptation? What are we dealing with? Because oftentimes, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what temptation is, and we get bound up even before we start to sin. The second thing we're going to look at is, okay, what is the devil's objective with temptation and the result in sin? In other words, who are we dealing with? And the third thing is, what is his tactics, and what should be our response? So before we dive into the word, I'm going to quickly pray, and then we'll get straight into it. Lord, I thank you that you have a message for us this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for each one of us, that you want each one of us to be victorious. God, I pray that you would come and authenticate the preaching of your word with signs and wonders. Lord, that you'd prepare our heart to receive your word. And Lord, would you anoint me afresh to preach it, Lord, I ask in your name. Amen. Okay, well then, let us quickly turn to the first uh, text, and that can be found in Genesis. Genesis 3, and we're going to read from... uh, One to seven, if you don't have a Bible or tablet or phone, you can find on the screen behind me. So let me read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, well then let us turn, put your thumb or a finger in that one and turn to the next one, which can be found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and we're going to chapter four, we're going to read from one to 11. One to 11, let me start reading. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Thank you for your word, Lord. Okay, then let us ask and answer the first question. What is temptation? What can we learn from these two stories? Well, you know, as I mentioned, there's much misconception about what temptation is. So given that, I thought it'd be helpful to say what temptation is not. And I've got three of these, and here is the first one. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Now, I'm sure for some of you, you say, well, I realize that, but even if you do, it's helpful to be reminded, isn't it? You see, the problem with, with, with the enemy is he sees a lie that when we're tempted, we're sinners. And so even before we start sinning, we get bound up in guilt and shame. And we're always in that place. And you know, I think one of the, the reasons for this that it's so hard for us is because we don't often immediately see a consequence to our sin. And so it's difficult to see where temptation ends and sin begins, you see. That's why it's difficult. Now, in the story of Adam and Eve, we, it's graphically represented when sin comes in, where that line is. You see, they're having a conversation with the enemy and he's tempted them to eat that apple, but at that point, there's no sin. How do we know that? Well, they're still looking at themselves, they clearly don't realize they're naked yet, or they're not running away from God. No, it's the point at which they engage with that thought and act upon it and eat the apple. Sin comes rushing in. They realize they're naked. Guilt and shame and condemnation come rushing in. What about the second text? Well, Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? But we know, do we not, in Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus was tempted in all things, and yet, and yet, he was without sin. There was no sin. And so, you know, we've got to realize when we're tempted that it's not the first look, it's the second look, you know? It's not the, th- the thought, it's engaging with it. You can stand outside a door, whether it be whatever, and think, well, should I or should I not? And if you walk away, you haven't yet engaged with that sin. And so therefore, while temptation is not sin, it is a doorway to sin. You know, if there was no temptation, there would not be no sin, right? Think about it. You know, what, Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists of our time, said this, you can't stop the birds flying over your head but you can stop them making a nest in your hair. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But you see, temptation is from the enemy. And we're gonna look at that in a moment as we answer the next question. And I'm gonna say this, temptation is not from God. And this is a really important point that I wanna make because oftentimes, the enemy seeds this lie that you're being tempted because God is tempting you. And the problem with that view is that it really distorts who we think God is. On the one hand, we kind of know and think that God loves us, but on the other hand, he's he's really testing us and he wants me to sin. And what that means is that we don't don't press into God, we don't reach out to God. And that is another lie of the enemy. Why? Because while temptation is not from God, temptation is from the enemy, as I mentioned before. Revelation 12.9 says this, the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. That is his raison d'etre, if you like. That is what he is about, leading us astray. He is the tempter. He is the great liar. And he works that out in three areas. You see, we we are in 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 a fallen world. Sin is all around us. We're tempted by every quarter. Or in the flesh, 
We have sinful desires that operate, that compel us. Or the third is directly from the enemy in his cohorts that will see lies and, and temptations right in our mind. Okay, that's the second one. So temptation is not from God, it is from the enemy. The third great misconception is this. Temptation is not reserved for bad people only. You know, we often think that it's only for bad people. Well, I'm a good guy, I don't get tempted. <laughs> temptation is for those guys over there, they're bad. Have you heard that? I've certainly thought that before in the past. And you know, in my time ministering and praying with people, I often find that those people that think they don't get tempted are typically most embroiled in sin, to be honest. It's those people that have an acute awareness of temptation that are typically more victorious in it because they understand what they're dealing with. And so part of this message is understanding what we are dealing with. And so while temptation is not reserved for bad people only, temptation is experienced by the good and the bad. And we know that, don't we, in the story? Because Jesus was tempted, and yet he was the best of the best. Okay, so temptation is not sin, it is a doorway. Temptation is not from God, it is from the enemy. And temptation is not reserved for bad people only. It is for every one of us to experience. And given that, this message is for each one of us. And so that leads us to the next question then. If it is the enemy, what is his objective in temptation and the result in sin? Who are we dealing with? Well, you know, the enemy has two objectives. And the first one is an overarching mission, if you like. And it's this. It is to take the worship and honor that's due God to himself. Now, to understand this, we kind of need to understand who this enemy is. You know, in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, we learn what happened at the beginning. We learn, you see, that Satan, in fact, was an angel in heaven. He was worshiping with the other angels, but there came a moment where he wanted the worship to himself. And at that point, he was thrown out of heaven, and all the other angels that followed the devil were, were thrown out as well, often called demons. They're fallen angels. And you know, from that moment on, that has been his mission. You see, he entered the garden, hell-bent, excuse the, the word in there, hell-bent, but it's applicable, on actually getting Adam and Eve to move their glory and honor and worship from God to himself. That is why he came in and said, eat the apple. Because at the point at which there was rebellion and disobedience from God, Adam and Eve stopped honoring and worship God and started honoring and worship the enemy. That's how serious sin is, guys. You know, that is how, what we're dealing with here. Doesn't it say in the scripture that it says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. When we worship and honor God, we, we follow him. We, we do that which he calls us to do. You know, it's interesting um, when we read here in the account of Jesus and his temptation. There was three questions that the enemy had, wasn't it? You know, if you really are the son of God, well, then why don't you do this? Turn them into uh, the, uh, the stones into bread. If you really are the son of God, then throw yourself down and the angels will, will, will catch you. And you know, I think what's really interesting is the third one. He changes tack. And I think he says this in frustration. He says this, look at everything here. If you will only worship me, I'll give it all to you. His hand was revealed. He was outdone. And what did Jesus say? Away from me. You shall only worship the Lord your God. That is the enemy's core objective. Number one, mission. And the second thing that flows out of that is his second objective, and that is this, to disarm us, to disconnect us from God, from each other, and from the mission and the commission that God has for us. You see, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? 
guilt and shame came rushing in, didn't it? And I know that from personal experience. You know, the enemy's your best friend when he's tempting you. <laughs> he gives you, promises you everything. But the moment you fall, you're such a bad person. How can you go to God now? You're so terrible. You're so weak. And we hide, don't we? And what happened to Adam and Eve? Two things. Number one, they hid from God, didn't they? We know that in the story. They hid from God. And the second thing is, you know, in Genesis 2, uh, 15 previously, we know that God said to them, listen guys, this is the garden. I want you to, to tend it. That was their number one mission. That was the commission. But what happened? They were thrown out of the garden. They couldn't continue on the mission that God had for them. Now contrast that, contrast that with Jesus. Jesus was victorious over temptation and sin. And what happened? Two things. Number one, we read the angels came and ministered to him because he pressed into God. And the second thing is, and this is wonderful, the next chapter, the very next thing we read is he starts his public ministry. He walks in that which he has for, for him. Do you see how serious this is, you see? And we need, to be, we need to be aware of temptation and the result in sin. Okay, let us ask and answer the next question, which is important, which is this. If that's the devil's objective, what are the tactics that he uses? And what should be our response to be victorious? And I've got three things here that we can see from these two stories. The first this is this, that he questions God's word and authority and then seeds a lie. See, the enemy is subtle. In fact, we read it, don't we, in the account of Adam and Eve. It says he is the craftiest of all animals. And because the enemy doesn't come at us full frontal. God is wrong and I am right. Because clearly we'd see it from a mile off, wouldn't we? He doesn't operate like that. What does he do? He invites us to question God's word and authority. He seeds doubt in our minds which appeal to our sinful desires. Let's look how it happened with Adam and Eve. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the, the, tree, uh, the, the trees? Well, clearly that's a confusing question. Because obviously God did not say that, did he? And so he engages with, with Eve. Well, actually, no, God didn't say that. What he said was, is that we can't eat from this tree. She's in. You see, the devil invites her into a conversation. And this is where she falls. At the point at which the enemy said, this, no, for God really knows and surely knows that if you eat of this, you'll be like God. That's what will happen. And what does Eve then do? She moves away from the word of God and then looks with her own eyes and says, she saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eye, and that it was good for wisdom. And then she ate the apple. She didn't stand on the word of God. At that point, she was into the conversation. She relied on her own strength, didn't she? And the same with Adam. The same with Adam. And I've seen it in my life. Did God really say you can't enjoy yourself with one more glass, really? Did God really say it's bad? I mean, the boss is paying, it's an office party, why not? Well, I guess not. I mean, God wants me to enjoy myself, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and one or two, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's not gonna hurt anyone. And so before you know it, you're like, well, I'll have one or two or three or four, and you, and you fall into drunkenness. See how subtle he is. Well, contrast that with Jesus. You know, it's really interesting here because before the story of Jesus, we know that he was baptized. And I'll talk about baptism in a moment. And as, as Richard mentioned, we've got them uh, next week. He was baptized at the end of that. God from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Now, what was the, what was the thing that the enemy said? If you are the son of God, then do this. See, the enemy was questioning God's word and authority. Now, Jesus didn't say, well, actually... He didn't say, yeah, I'm not, so I can prove it. 
What did he do? He came back with scripture. He came back with what God said about the situation. Didn't get, the, didn't get into a conversation with the enemy. And that is what we need to do. We need to respond as Christ did with God's truth. We mustn't rely on our own sight. We need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. And here's a second of the tactics. He appeals to our selfish desires and the situations we put ourselves in. You know, I want to say right now, it's a common misconception, but the devil cannot read our minds, nor can his demons. You know, oftentimes we see God and devil depicted as these two opposite forces. No, 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 no. We know, do we not, that the enemy's a created being, he's a fallen angel. He's just been given a short lease for, for a period of time. That's it. But what they can do is observe what you do and your habits and where you put yourself in. You know, if you're skirting around websites and technically this is all right, I can look at this, and you wonder why three clicks too many and you're in a place that you shouldn't be. Or you wonder why you keep getting drunk but you're at the same bars with the same people, putting yourself in the same situation. You know, let's be real about this. This is the reality of life, isn't it? These are all the things that we deal with. You know, it's not a stretch to think that Adam and Eve were hanging around the tree, to be honest. We don't read that the enemy came over to them and said, come over with me, let me show you the tree. And at the point at which he said, eat the apple, he didn't say so then Eve went and walked from one part of the garden to the other and then picked the apple. No, 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 no. I actually think what was happening, they were, they were skirting around that tree. It does look pretty good for, for food, doesn't it? Why? Because that's what Eve spoke when, when she was tempted. She put herself in that situation, and Adam as well. And so therefore, we need to be wise about the situations we put ourselves and where we put ourselves. Third thing, another one of the enemy's tactics, he tempts us in moments where we are more likely to be off guard. Highs and lows. <clears throat> After a higher success, you know, we, what happens is when we have a success, we seem to live in that place of success. We allow it to define ourselves. Yeah, that was good. I'm and there's an opportunity for the enemy to come in with pride and arrogance and all these kind of things. We've got to be aware of this. For me, I tell you personally, one of the areas that the enemy gets me is when I have successes. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so good. Oh, that was awesome. And I stay there and Jesus is keep walking ahead of me. I'm like, oh man, this is a good place to be. It makes me feel good. Anyone else be? Oh, maybe it's just me. Clearly it is me. But the other side of it is lows. Have you heard of this? Halt. Ang hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are times when temptation seems attractive because it, it fills a void, you see. I'm angry, so it doesn't matter if I get into bitterness. I'm vindicated, in fact, when I sin. I should be bitter about that person because they've done such and such to me. Or I'm lonely, so it doesn't matter if I watch this, that, and the other because it gives me comfort. These are all real things we all experience. I've experienced them many times. And so what does that mean? We need to be aware of the situations we're in. And you know, on this halt, we need to be in community. We need to be with each other. We're not called to be islands because the enemy just pops at us. That's why connect groups are so important, to be with each other, to pray with each other, to share our burdens, like iron sharpening iron, to be accountable, to be vulnerable with each other. Okay, so there's some tactics. Question God's word and authority and seeds a lie. We need to be aware of that one. The second one is that he appeals to our selfish desires, and so we need to be aware of the situation we put ourselves in and be wise about that. And the third is that he tempts us in moments of highs and lows when we're off guard. Now, you know, I want to say at this point that if I were to stop, it's unlikely, to be honest, that we would be better equipped to be victorious over temptation and sin than at the start of this message. 
Now that might sound like a bit of a curious statement. So Mark, what have you been doing with us for the past 20 minutes? What was the point of that? I could have been watching something on TV. Well, the truth is we are equipped to a degree and in some measure. You know, we now kind of have hopefully a better picture of what temptation is and the seriousness of it. We, we kind of have a better understanding of, of who we're dealing with and why he's doing it to us and some of the things we need to look out for. But to be honest with you, if I stop to that point, in some respects, those tips and those things are no, bat, no better than a New Year's resolution. Why do I say that? Because in and of themselves, they are powerless. In and of themselves, they don't change us. We're still the same person with our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. And you see what happens is the more tips and tricks we have, the higher the bar goes and we don't change, we just fall harder, don't we? You know, one of the mis- most misunderstood verses, I think, in the Bible is James 4, 7. You might have heard it. Resist the enemy and he shall flee. Have you heard that? The reason I say it's one of the misunderstood and misquoted verses is that for whatever reason, we seem to omit the first three words of that verse, which is this. Submit to God. Resist the enemy and he shall flee. And so because we forget or omit or don't want to pay attention or haven't been taught that and we focus on resist, we go, right, I've got to resist. (laughs) I can do this. I can be stronger. I've been here so many times. I'm not going to fall this time. Oh, I'm going to say no a lot louder this time. Oh, it's going to work. And I don't know about you, but I find that the harder I try, it seems like the quicker I fall and the harder I fall. And I'm like, I just, I've got to be stronger. I've got to do better. You know, we try and resist in our own strength, don't we? Let's look at this, Adam and Eve, perfect surroundings, beautiful garden, no temptation around. On paper, they should have been successful, right? On paper, they were strong, and yet they failed in their strength. They failed in their strength, they had everything going for them. Contrast that with the story of Jesus in bad surroundings, in the wilderness. Tired, hungry, alone, isolated, and yet in his weakness, he was victorious. See the contrast there? In his weakness, in his weakness, he was victorious. And you see the power of the cross is that in his weakness, by his wounds, he was victorious. That's the amazing message, the good news. Why? Because this. He submitted to his father. That's how he was victorious. He didn't resist the enemy in his own strength, but by submitting to his father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, would would you take this cup away from me, but if it be your will, if it be your will, I will do this. He submitted to God. And so we are called to submit to Christ. Christ modeled it for us. God is not calling us to be stronger Christians. Have you heard that message so many times? You have got to do better. This Christian faith is not a faith of doing better and being stronger. It's a Christian faith of submitting to Christ who has already done it for us. What a wonderful, thank goodness, how liberating is that? And you know what? This is the beautiful thing is we can run and rush to a savior who has experienced everything that we have. He's been there. He was weak, he was lonely, he was vulnerable. We don't rush to someone who's got no idea of where we're at. Some God in the distance that has no clue about the hardships of life. 
He gets it. And so in his weakness, we identify with him. And in our weakness, he identifies with us. Hebrews 2, 17, 18. If you've got a pen, I'd encourage you to write this down. You want to know why Christ was made like us? You want to know why God sent his son down here on earth? Here it is. For this reason, Christ was made to be like this. Fully human in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And you see, as we put our faith in Christ, as we say, yes, I want, I want what you've got, God. I trust that Christ has made a way for me. What happens, is, you see, is we identify with Christ. And when he died on the cross, we died there with him. The sinfulness dies, and we die with Christ. And as he is risen, we arise with him, a new creation. No longer operating like Adam, under the law, under these, these New Year's resolutions, this high bar, but it doesn't change us, but now under Christ, where he changes us inside, and the victory comes from him, not from us. What a beautiful gospel. And that is the power of baptism, isn't it? Because baptism is a symbolic act, a public declaration that says, I have chosen to be with God. I trust that he has been victorious for me. And so in baptism, we, we go under the waters, we die to self, we die with Christ. And as we come up, we come up new creation in Christ Jesus. We are changed, you see. All of a sudden, that bar doesn't look as high as it did because we find that we have been changed inside. I'd like to invite the band up as I end with this. You see, you know what, guys? We are in a win-win situation. Because, you know, there are moments that we are submitting to Christ every day, but there, there are moments that we fall. I've got some good news. I've got some good news for you. Because the truth is this. Christ died for those sins. So when we do sin, we don't have to live in guilt and shame and condemnation. We can come rushing to the Father, knowing that he has cleansed us. Psalm 130, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he's removed our transgressions from us. You see, it says in Colossians 2 that Christ completely disarmed the work of the enemy. Not only can we be victorious in Christ, but when we do fall, it has no power over us because we're cleansed. We rush to our Savior. And I want to end on this verse, 1 John 2. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so while temptation is a subject for all of us, Christ's work is also for all of us. Let us stand. Lord, I wanna thank you that you are here with us now. I want to thank you for the work of the cross that you can completely Disarm the power of the enemy. And some of you here this morning, I just feel prompted that you are saying, Lord, I want to surrender to you in all things. I'm tired of doing it on my own strength. I'm tired of battling. I'm try, tired of trying to reach that high bar. Would you come into my life and would you be victorious for me? Would your victory over Satan in Matthew 4 be my victory over Satan today? 
And I'm going to pray for you now. If that's you, I want you to put your, heart, your hand on your heart. Just as a symbolic act to say, yes, that's me, Lord. I'm not talking about temptation here. I'm talking about the fact that you want to submit to Christ in everything you do. And I'm just going to pray for you now. Lord, I thank you for your word that it brings power. This is not a dead gospel. This is an alive gospel. And so right now, Lord, for these people that have publicly declared to you, Lord, that they want to submit and surrender to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and breathe your life right now. Holy Spirit, come. Bring liberty and freedom and salvation. Let us worship. Thank you, Lord.